Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and to invite others to live it. Before we get into today's topic, we want to remind you that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode or ideas for future episodes, please contact us. There are two easy ways to do so. You can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. Or you can tweet at us. Use the Twitter handle at SFDiocese with the hashtag Ignition. Again, at SFDiocese, S as in Sue, F as in Falls, D-I-O-C-E-S-E, and use the hashtag Ignition. Again, that's for any questions you have about today's episodes or ideas for future episodes. So my normal guest, my normal co-host, Father Dickinson, is not here today. So instead, I went to the ends of the earth, as some people put it. Well, the end of the continent, maybe, I guess. One of the ends of the continent. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, I'm joined on the phone today by Carl Olson. Um, no letters. Well, Carl Olson, M.A., right, Carl? Well, MTS, actually. I mean, oh, that's right, MTS. I'm sorry. Yeah. So uh, Carl, Carl and I have known each other for many years, uh, but what I want to do, Carl, is just uh, give you an opportunity to introduce yourself. You've been on Ignition. It's been several years now, I think, since you and I did an episode, but um, people can dig back through the archives to find that. But why don't you just uh, introduce yourself a bit, uh, who you are and what you do, which is so, so much, but just limit it if you can. Well, thanks, Chris. I am uh, have been for now five, four years, the editor of Catholic World Report for Ignatius Press, but I've been working for Ignatius Press since 2004, um, began as editor of Ignatius Insight, which I still oversee, but I focus most of my attention now on Catholic World Report, uh, which, of course, is focuses on the news in the Catholic Church and news from a Catholic perspective. And I do that despite having absolutely no background in journalism. <laughs> so, you know, all those kids out there who dream, dream big. <laughs> um, but really, since uh, my wife and I entered the church, the Catholic Church in 1997, we're both former evangelical Protestants, um, I've had the, the privilege and honor of being really being able to uh, work in the field of writing and editing for different Catholic publications. I was editor of Envoy magazine for a couple of years. And I've written for you know a number of different newspapers and and websites and and so forth, and I've written a, a few books. And of course, we're going to talk about a book that um, I co-edited today, and um, I have some other other books. So I've, you know, I'll try to keep busy. And uh, every once in a while, I I call up Chris Bergwald and I. I give him a bad time. Yes, yes, you do. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, you and I think one of our previous episodes, you, you talked about um, your conversion. I think so. You mentioned that you and your wife um, converted from evangelicalism. How long ago was that again? Well, we entered the church in 1997, um, and the really short story is that I was raised in a very anti-Catholic fundamentalist home. My wife, who grew up here in Eugene, Oregon, where we live now. She was um, from a more evangelical background that really had no particular um, bent for or against the Catholic Church. And we met back in 1991 when she was attending Multnomah Bible College in Portland, Oregon. 
and uh, we began dating, and we got married in 1994. And that was during that time, I was doing a lot of reading about church history and a lot of different theological, historical questions that I was curious about, and that eventually led us to seriously investigate and look at the Catholic Church. And um, we went through an RCI program here locally, and uh, actually, <laughs> contrary to what many, many people uh, experience, we had a really wonderful ex- you know, experience going through RCIA, and then I was fortunate to that same year, 1997, to begin my studies with the University of Dallas through an extension program through the Archdiocese of Portland. And so uh, I graduated from that in 2000. Um, so that's kind of a nutshell story of our journey to the Catholic Church. And so that's the MTS stands for a Master's in Theolog- Theological Studies, correct? Yeah, and for people who don't know, what that basically means is uh, a master's degree without all the work that actual <laughs> master's students normally go through. No, that, no it doesn't. Uh, what, what it really is, I mean, in, in short, is it's a master's degree in theology, but without the language requirements. Yeah. So normally you would have to have usually two languages, maybe an ancient modern language, um, but what's great about the program that the University of Dallas had at that time, and I had folks like Father Mitch Paqua, who taught right. my scripture you know, classes, and some other great people like Marcellino D'Ambrosio, who some folks might know, um, is that it was really all about reading the, the actual uh, texts of the Church, meaning the, the conciliar texts and papal documents and scripture, and really had, uh, that was really um, a wonderful experience for me, and it's then that I met Mark Brumley, who was teaching a class in the thought of John Paul II at that time, and Mark Brumley has been for many years now the uh, president of Ignatius Press and is, is my boss. And so uh, I've been very, very blessed and very fortunate to really met some wonderful people and have an opportunity to, to uh, do some things for a great apostolate like Ignatius Press. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you mentioned earlier, author of a number of books, um, editor of. Uh, is this the first one you've edited? Actually, are you? Uh, that yeah, that's that's correct. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so we're going to talk about uh, one today, and then uh, I think in a future episode we'll we'll talk about another one as well. Uh, but the one we're going to talk about today, uh, you are co-editor of, I should say, with Father David McConey, who is a Jesuit, an American Jesuit, um, and the title is "Called to Be the Children of God." The theology, the Catholic theology of human deification, called to be the children of God. The Catholic theology of human deification. So, I think Carl, the, uh, the way I want to to get into this um, with you for our listeners is to talk a little bit about what the title means, therefore what the book is about, and then we'll back up and talk about the origins, the genesis of the book, uh, and then uh, finally we will get into the contents a little bit. Is that, sound, is that all right with you? Yeah, it sounds great. And you know, start with the title called to be the children of God, which is taken, of course, from the scripture itself, from the New Testament, and the writings of, of Paul, and from really this idea of being a children of God is something emphasized uh, in that way by uh, the Apostle John. Um, St. Paul refers often to being, you know, sons uh, of God, and adopted children, adopted sons of God. You see it in Galatians 4 and, and a lot of other places. And so that we decided on that title because it is scriptural 
and it really kind of sets the tone for what the the entire book is about. Uh, it's funny because I've had a couple people make a remark about the subhead, you know, the Catholic theology of human deification. Of course, as soon as people see that word deification, I think the red flags come up right. for some folks. <laughs> whoa, uh, like, whoa. What, what are you talking about here? Um, and for you know, for for Catholics, I always say, well, go to the Catechism, yep. paragraph four sixty. Yep. Which I call, I've described as the most shocking paragraph yep. in the Catechism of the Catholic yep. Church. Um, and you'll see right there, you'll see three quotes from the great doctors and fathers of the Church, basically saying that God became man so that man could become God or men could become gods. And of course, you have to unpack that. There's a lot behind that. Yeah. So, why, so, so, hold on one second. Yeah. There. So, so for the sake of the listeners, re- repeat the. So, the three, the, the great saints you alluded to are, um, are Athanasius, Irenaeus of Leon in the what second century, third century. Say yeah, Athanasius. Irenaeus uh, for writing in the late eight, uh, late um, second century. And then Athanasius writing in the Saint fourth Athanasius, century. The time of the Council of Nicaea, and, and then you have Saint Thomas Aquinas, of course, the great. Uh, scholastic doctor who, right? who of course was known for flights of rhetorical fancy um, in all his writings where he would just you know, yeah and that's, and that's you know the I think a lot of people not to jump too far ahead but I think there'll be a lot of surprises in this book for a lot of people and maybe the stuff about St. Thomas Aquinas will, be, will surprise some folks and as you know Chris there's been recently uh, a couple of books written about this whole theme of deification right in the writing of St. Thomas Aquinas, it's fascinating because once people begin to see it and begin to understand the scriptural roots and then be, see how it has unfolded through the writings of the fathers and doctors and so forth, then I think folks begin to say, oh, this is, I, I, I've heard this language, but I've maybe not put it all together, how it relates to so many, it relates to everything. Right. Um, so, let, let, so, and, let's go back to, so let's go back to 460. So state again, once more, that 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 the um, the paraphrase of all three of those great saints. Well, I you know if I was really had my act together, I'd have it right here in front of me. But I, there's kind of a uh, the way that you put it es- though. There's kind of an escalation. The um, I believe the quote from Saint uh, Irenaeus is basically the Son of God became a man so that men could become sons of God. But by the time you get to the Aquinas quote, Aquinas just says point blank, um, God became man so that man could become God. And of course, that's a little bit shocking for yeah. people. And immediately, I, you know, my the reaction I get from people is like, "Isn't that Mormonism?" Because so explain and, that. Um, why, why why do people respond that way who know a little bit about Mormon theology? Well, I mean, because if I think folks who Catholics who know their faith a little bit and who, of course, have either dealt with JWs or Mormons, kind of realize that there's a there's a form of this a, a idea of deification in Mormonism. And of course, in Mormonism, the idea is uh, that men specifically can become gods and then have their own, basically their own planet with with spiritual wives. Uh, at that point, you know, we're in a totally different trajectory. Yeah, right. The thing I would emphasize right off the top that will help folks, I think, is to understand, and I'm really convinced of this more and more, that every single belief system, every single belief system posits some form of deification. Even secular atheism does because it basically says that man is God and can control his own right. fate and right. can create his own reality. You know this kind of language. So every person, in their own way, posits some form of being deified. So then the question is, which is correct and which is wrong? And of course, the Catholic understanding, which is shared by the Eastern Orthodox, is that we 
actually are filled with the divine life of God and become sons and daughters of God and are filled with the very triune life of God. And that's why we can talk about being deified, not through our own effort, not through our own power, but by receiving the gift given to us uh, by the Father, through the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a deeply Trinitarian and incarnational reality. And when you look at other forms of deification, whether it be atheism, Mormonism, etc., uh, they vary drastically from that Christian perspective, which, of course, they have to, because the the two central mysteries of the Christian faith are the Trinity and the Incarnation. And, of course, they are the two distinct mysteries of Christianity that separates it from every other form of a religious or philosophical belief. So the the subtitle, The Catholic Theology of Human Deification, a, a way to restate that is the Catholic Church's understanding of how about how man is is made becomes God. Right, becomes God, shares in God's own life, becomes a child of God. And one way to look at this for folks who are you know trying to wrap their heads around it is that Oftentimes in the West, whether folks are Protestant or Catholic, the emphasis on salvation is escaping from sin or escaping from hell. And right. of course, that's that's a very true reality. That's important, uh, and it's it's bound up in this. But sometimes, not always, but sometimes the positive side of that is not emphasized. Now we can talk generally about going to heaven, or even talk about the beatific vision. And really, those are different ways of the same reality. The way I would say it, though, is sometimes heaven is kind of like it's off there in the future, obviously. It's after I die. I hope right. I get to heaven. Right. Deification is, to use that language, is heaven on earth. We are actually filled with God's life now on earth through baptism, through the sacraments, through the life of the church. And so we enter into that saving communion with God here and now, and that, by God's grace will be fully realized and consummated uh, after our deaths. Um, and so that's, you know, a way of, of looking at it. So the, the, going back to the title then, the, 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 the main title, Called to be the Children of God. So we hear that language a lot, you know, we're, we're children of God, we read in Scripture, we kind of use it, not literally everyday language, but but in, in, in church language, so to speak, it's pretty common. But I think most people, including probably most Catholics, don't realize how literally true the phrase is, that, that we truly, as you said, at, at, at that baptism and the deep and through the other sacraments, we become the children of God. What is a child but somebody who shares in the way of being, the nature of their parent? Um, I'm a child of my parents because I I, I share in their life. And even those who are adopted uh, share, uh, not necessarily in the biological life, but they, they share in the life of the family of their parents. That is meant not just metaphorically for us as Christians that we're children of God, but it's meant literally because, as you share, you said, we share in His own very life. Yeah, and it's. I think the there's, there's two points here. I think that one, we are used to hearing this language of we're all children of God. Everybody's a child of God, um, and with all due respect to our Holy Father, who has said this several times, and by the way, I, I can't find any other papal <laughs> pronouncements by previous popes saying that, because, strictly speaking and accurately speaking, only those who have been baptized and have entered into communion with Christ through baptism are children of God. Now, we do know and believe, of course, that God is bound to his sacraments, but not limited to sacraments, 
and of course there's the whole issue of those who've never heard the gospel, etc. But setting that aside, to be a child of God in the Catholic understanding is to be filled with the very divine life of God, which comes normally through baptism, or the desire for baptism. And But I think what happens is people, we're kind of used to in our our culture hearing, oh, we're all children of God. Well, I would say that we have to be more specific, because that's kind of a sloppy way of looking at it, and it causes confusion. We are all created by God, we're all created in the image and likeness of God, and we're all called to be children of God. And then there comes the matter of actually becoming a child of God, which again is through His grace, being filled by His grace, which, as the Catechism says in paragraph 1997, is the very Trinitarian life of God. That's what grace is. And so then the second point I would make is about adoption. You know, my, as you know, my three children are adopted, and I think this has come home to me even more clearly that, of course, when you adopt children and you go through the legal process, they, they are your children. Right. I mean, there's no distinction in the law between my children and the children of somebody born biologically to them. Right. Um, and so this is a helpful way of thinking about this reality that when we're adopted by God as children, it's not just poetry. It's just not, it's not merely a nice metaphor. And I think some people kind of instinctively lean towards that. This is kind of a nice metaphor. Uh, no, it actually means that we truly do receive this gift of divine life. Uh, it's a great mystery, but we also, there's a lot that we can know about it. And the book, you know, as you know, goes through the tradition. It begins with scripture and it goes all the way up through the catechism of the Catholic Church, and it traces this theme and this reality, and you find all these different ways of expressing it and living it, so to speak, and, and different spiritual expressions of it um, in the Catholic Church. And a lot of different uh, imagery and language used to define it and clarify it, and you know some of it, some of the language is metaphorical, but it all is meant to explain a very real, uh, actual, uh, you know, saving reality. And and the last the, the point I'd make, uh, and then we can uh, move on to look at the actual the, the origins of the book a little bit, and then the content of the book itself. Um, in our diocese, Carl, and I've I've talked to you about this before. Um, we've been really emphasizing lately the reality of the call to discipleship and what that means, and and using the language of of our recent popes that we're all called. It means among other things to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And and for you as a former evangelical, very familiar language for a lot of Catholics, not necessarily so familiar, but Nonetheless, we—that's the language that 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 many people use, that, and that including our popes. And yet, I think that a lot of people don't understand the um, the the finality of that, in the sense that it goes ultimately the personal relationship that that we're called to with Jesus Christ is not just one of friendship, but of intimacy. Right. Which this notion of this truth, the reality of deification, divinization, uh, gets at. Yeah, and I think one thing, uh, obviously, coming to grasp this concept as an evangelical took some time, but in a certain sense, it was actually very natural for me, because I had, I was immersed in Scripture growing up. Um, Now, I should point out that I I knew a lot of Scripture, but I didn't know a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I I had, thankfully, I had memorized a lot of Scripture, I had read a lot of Scripture, but even as I went through Bible college, there was so much that I was learning that I was beginning to start to starting to plumb the depths a little bit. And a, a pivotal moment for me was buying and listening to a 12-tape series by Dr. Scott Hahn, and, and Dr. Scott Hahn wrote the uh, forward to this book. 
Uh, it's called The Catholic Gospel. And really all it was was a, a class lecture he gave at Steubenville many, many years ago, because this goes back um, almost 20 years ago. And it was a class in soteriology about salvation, and this was his focus. You know, he called it divine sonship, but of course he went through the terms deification, theosis, which is the term used in the Eastern churches, and so forth, participation, um, etc. And he went through in great detail, and he traced it, and he talked about a lot of different authors and books and the history, and I began you know, buying the books and reading more and more, and I began to see this theme in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And, of course, I was familiar with the language, a lot of the language from Scripture, whether it was from First John or Second Peter or Galatians or whatever it was. And once it came together for me, um, it was just like, wow, this, this makes sense of everything. It, it, it helps make sense of the sacraments, the nature of the Church, um, things like our relationship with the saints and the Blessed Virgin Mary. I mean, all these things... Uh, begin to make a lot more sense when you begin to appreciate what the nature of grace is and the nature of deification is. And so um, the book came about because I, I interviewed Father David McConey uh, in late 2010, early 2011, when he was hired to be the editor of Homiletic and Pastoral Review, which is a magazine for Ignatius Press. And the, the short story is I discovered in interview, interviewing him that he had written his doctoral thesis on the theme of deification in the, the writings of St. Augustine. And so we immediately began communicating about this, and I forget whose idea it was. It may have been his, but he said, hey, let's, we should put together a book on this. You know, I know some people that would be great, and I knew some people I thought would be great. And so we started contacting folks, and... It started to come together, and we decided we'd treat it chronologically. It's kind of a work of historical theology. Right. And it really, you know, even though it's been five years in the making, it really came together in about a year or so. And then and then there was time for folks to obviously write their chapters, and then uh, editing, and then the book got put off a little bit because Ignatius Press was publishing some other stuff for the, the two synods in Rome over the last couple of years. So um, it took some time, but it really, the whole process went really, really smoothly. And everybody who um, contributed was really, was really wonderful about the whole process. So it, it's, it went very well. So we've got about five minutes left, Carl. Um, we, we've spent a lot of time on the background of the title, uh, but you just mentioned the, the, the sort of the, the organization of the book, a work of historical theology, um, going through the tradition from scripture and, and so on. Is there anything that you want to point out in the time that we have left in particular about the book, whether it be uh, but any, anything at all that, that you think is worth noting? Well, um, uh, like I'll give some folks uh, an idea of, of how it's approached. You know, we start out with a chapter on the scriptural roots of this idea, which I co-authored with Father McConey, and then we have chapters on the Greek fathers and the Latin fathers. And I think you know all these chapters are fascinating, but with the Greek fathers and Latin fathers, you really see how they developed and deepened their understanding of this, drawing, of course, on scripture. Uh, and then Father McConey has an essay on Augustine, and I think for a lot of people that'll be very surprising because some folks tend to think of Augustine as as not really having this theme at all, when in fact it's shot through all of his writings. Um, it's there in a lot of different ways. Then there's chapters on this theme of deification in the Dominican tradition, the Franciscan tradition, um, your chapter on Trent and the Counter-Reformation, and, you know, you touch on how Luther and some of the other 
Protestant uh, reformers uh, looked at this topic, which is really fascinating. Uh, a chapter on the French school of spirituality, people like Francis de Sales. Um, and then there's a couple chapters on specific people, like we have a chapter on John Henry Newman, right. which to me is one of the more intriguing chapters of the book. I think even people who think they know Newman really well will be really uh, surprised in some ways by that chapter by uh, Dr. Daniel Latier. And a chapter on Matthias Shaban, who is who is not really known outside of theological circles, but who had a huge influence on me. I read he had a, a big book that he wrote back in the eighteen hundreds, and I it's been translated, of course, in English. And um, he's a you know really one of the great German theologians from the eighteen hundreds. Um, and there's chapters on between the, the councils, Vatican One and Vatican Two, this theme and how it developed. Uh, which is a great chapter. And then Tracy Rowland, of course, you and I both greatly admire, yes. wrote a, a chapter on Vatican II and John Paul II. And then um, a, a class paper that I wrote many, many years ago on this theme in the Catechism, um, I snuck it in there, because I think it would be really helpful for people to see how this theme is shot through the entire Catechism. I mean, it's just everywhere. But if you don't maybe know what to look for, so to speak, you might miss it. Uh, and then the final the final chapter is on liturgy, deification liturgy. And we wanted to finish on the liturgy because at the end of the day, I think what this learning about this should do for folks is to help them worship God more deeply. I mean, that's the goal. Right. And to enter in more deeply into that, that personal transforming relationship with, with Christ. I think that's the really the goal here. I, I think that's a, a beautiful way to end, uh, as you said, with the liturgy for exactly that reason, because it's that, that's where, so you, you read this and you see it and you're, you're, you're um, illuminated, your, your intellect is illuminated, you understand more deeply, but that should then translate into my prayer life, my own personal prayer life, but also the liturgical prayer life of the church that I participate in. Yeah, and this, um, I think this book is, uh, you know, one thing I'm, I'm really happy with about the book is that it's, there's a lot of obviously intellectual, theological material there, but all of that, all of that doctrine, all of that knowledge is aimed towards a deeper understanding of this dynamic personal relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the Trinitarian, that's the goal. And so it's a great example of how, you know, doctrine and spirituality never compete with one another. They right. go hand in hand. You know, what we believe informs how we worship, and how we worship informs what we believe. And uh, that's really an ancient principle that is something that um, we should always keep in mind. And I think this book uh, bears that out. And I think hopefully that's what readers will, will gain from it. And and there are some... Um you got some great great endorsements for the book uh, that that are on the back cover. Um, it, I should mention um, it's available. Th uh, it is available. It's it's in, it's uh, been published earlier this spring, um, and is available from Ignatius Press. Again, the title is called to be the Children of God, the Catholic Theology of Human Deification, um, edited by Father David McConey, S.J. and Carl Olson, and the forward by Scott Hahn. And and uh, well, there's so much more we can say, but we will leave it at Carl. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Chris. My pleasure. And that wraps up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org, or tweet at us, sfdiocese, use the hashtag ignition with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find archives of this and past episodes online at sfcatholic.org. 
click on media and then audio files. You can also subscribe to the Ignition Podcast in the iTunes store. Remember to tune in every Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. on Lamb Catholic Radio at 91.3 FM in Hartford and 104.3 LPFM Juan Diego Catholic Radio in Sioux Falls and on 88.9 FM in Ipswich and Aberdeen or online at lambradio.com.